Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you and turn with me to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. If you don't know where that's at, that's after the book of Jeremiah. It's after the book of Jeremiah. It's before the book of Ezekiel. It's a little small book, book of Lamentations. And the title of my message tonight is Finding Your Hope in Suffering. Finding Hope in Your Suffering. Lamentations 3, and our focus tonight is 21 through 24. Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 24. Let me just start by reading this text. The Word of God says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Let us pray. Father, Lord Jesus, as we come now to focus on your word, I pray that you just strengthen me for the next 30, 35 minutes. Lord, teach us, instruct us, do more like your son. As in his name we pray, amen. Suffering. How do you respond to it? How do you respond to it? Throughout history, men and women have written book after book on the issue of suffering, on the issue of trials, on the issue of pain. From the academics to universities to the single mom who's wondering where the next meal for her family is going to come. Every generation has wrestled with the idea of suffering. They've wrestled with the idea of suffering. And there's one thing we can agree on. There's one thing that we can all come to the same conclusion, that there is suffering in this world, that there is pain in this world. Our fallen world is, is full of affliction. It, it's full of disease. It's full of death. It's full of hatred. It's full of war. It's full of anguish. It's full of trouble. It's full of sin. It's full of tribulation of every kind. And this is life in a fallen world. And it's unavoidable. Every person who has ever been on this planet, every person who ever has walked on this planet has gone through some type of suffering. Every person has gone through some type of trial. And if we are honest, suffering can be really hard to understand. It can really be hard to grasp. It can really be hard to reason with. And it causes us to ask questions like, where's God? Is God good? Is God powerful? Is God there? Does God actually care for me? Maybe there's not a God. There's so many questions. And maybe those questions cause some of us here to to blame God. And that's what happened to Jeremiah who, who wrote this book. Lamentations is a book of tears. It's a book of a lot of tears. It's a book of pain. 
And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he expresses much sadness in the book of Lamentations in response to the destruction, in response to the death, in response to all the chaos that was around him. And in chapter 3, he gets personal about suffering. It's just a reminder that suffering is always personal. It gets real in each of your lives. It gets personal. He gets personal, Jeremiah gets personal about the suffering he is going through. He sees so much starvation. He sees the rape of women. He sees so many people dying. He sees war. He sees chaos as the Babylonians come and capture and take over Jerusalem. And he starts to blame God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, I, and it's where it gets personal. He says, I am the man who's seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. Notice that it's a capital H. It's because of the rod of God's wrath. God, he has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me, he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. Verse four, he has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. And in dark places, he has made me dwell. Verse seven, he has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out, a call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow. He has set me as a target for his arrow. He has made me the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people. They're mocking song all the day. Verse 15, he has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. In verse 18, so I say, my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Jeremiah really thought that God was his enemy. He really thought that God was after to get get him. He was really blaming God. Jeremiah was so consumed of his painful circumstances. He he was so consumed of everything that was going on that he started to blame God. So I want to ask you the question, how do you respond to your suffering? How do you respond to the pain in your life? How do you respond to the trials in your life? How do you respond to your suffering? Do you blame God for your health issue? Do you blame God for the death of a loved one? Do you blame God for your current work situation? Do you blame God for whether whatever it is that's going on in your life? Do you blame him? Do you believe that God's the predator and you are the prey? Do you believe that God is the archer and you are the target because of your pain? 
And do you believe that God is your enemy? And because of that, you have lost all your hope because of the agony that you're going through. How do you respond to your suffering? Look at verse 19, where Jeremiah pours out his heart one more time to God. Verse 19, remember, this is a plea. This is begging. Remember, remember my affliction and my wandering, the the wormwood and the bitterness. The the word for wandering here is is a word that means homelessness. It's homelessness. And the, the, the word for wormwood there is poisonous. So in other words, what Jeremiah is saying is, God, don't forget about me. Remember me, God. God, don't be indifferent to my affliction. God, don't be indifferent to my suffering. God, don't be indifferent to my pain. God, don't be indifferent to my situation. God, remember me in this time of bitterness. God, take notice of my hopeless, my homeless, poison life. God, remember me. That's what Jeremiah is saying here. Look at verse 20. He says, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Surely my soul remembers and is humbled within me. He's saying, I am continually thinking about this. I am humbled. I can't get this off my mind. I can't stop thinking about this, God. Help me. My soul is in agony. I cannot get this off of my mind. God, remember me, help me. I am finally humbled. I don't blame you. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt so much pain that you are bitter inside? That you are hurting inside? Not just a sad or angry, but so pain that you're inside, that your physical body is literally hurting. That you, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like Jeremiah felt? Have you, have you ever lost something or someone so special that your grief was almost unbearable? Maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe that's where you are in your current life situation. You can't think of anything to be thankful, thankful for. You, your life feels like it's not going anywhere. The, the walls seem to be crumbling around you. You feel numb to what's going on in your life. So I'm going to ask you again, how do you respond to your suffering? How do you respond to your suffering? Uh, Many of you may have heard of Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, She died not too long ago, 2015. Uh, She's a personal hero of mine. Uh, She was a Christian missionary. She was an author. She was a speaker. And she went through a lot of suffering. She went through a lot of trials. Her first husband was killed while they were doing missionary work in Ecuador. She eventually got remarried to her second husband, and then he died of cancer. Eventually, she remarried again until she passed away not so long ago. And in between all of those different phases of remarrying and marrying and bearing husband after husband and, and marrying and then bearing another husband, she went through so many things in her life. She went through a lot of suffering, but she responded this way. And it really summarized her life. She said this, and I'll quote, my faith is to rest not in the outcome I think God should work out for me. My faith rests in who God is. My faith rests in who God is. When our faith rests in the outcome of external circumstances, we will have nothing to steady, nothing steady to anchor our hope. 
When you have nothing to steady, to anchor your hope, when, when you are looking at your life, when you're looking at your suffering and you're looking at those circumstances and you're not looking at who God is, you're just, you're just floating along like a tumbleweed in the air. You're not really anchored in God. Are you suffering from a sickness and hoping to, to get healthy? Are you here, single here tonight and hoping to get married? Are you jobless or in a different, a difficult work situation and hoping for something new? Hoping in and of itself isn't wrong. In fact, God commands us to hope, but he commands us to hope in him. He never tells us to hope in a specific outcome. He, he, he commands us to hope in him. And that's what our text is about tonight. It's about hoping in God. Hoping in the Lord, hoping in Him. And let me tell you this, no matter what you're going through tonight, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you'll go through, whether it's big, whether it's small, you have a God in heaven who is faithful. You have a God in heaven that you can trust. You have a God who sits on his throne and who is forever reigning. And you have a hope who reigns over the universe. He is your hope. He is your hope. Look at verse 21. Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Jeremiah was prompted finally by the Spirit of God to turn back, to restore the rightful place of the Word of God in his life. Despite the destruction around him, despite the chaos around him, he, he obtains hope by changing his focus, by changing his focus because he has turned his heart back to the truth of God and his faithfulness. Now he has hope. So what is hope? What is hope? Uh, hope involves a patient waiting for and anticipating for God's intervention. Job 13, 15 says, though he, God, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he will slay me, I will hope in him. It's a trusting in God because of who he is. This is what Jeremiah focuses on. Hope returns when the sufferer turns back to the truth of the word of God and his character. And you turn back to who he is. You take refuge in the unfailing love, mercy of God. That is what hope is. Look in verse 22. It says, Lord. And notice how it's all in all caps. When you see that in your English Bible, that it's, a, it's, a, a term, it's a translation term for, for you to know that's where the covenant name of God is. Yahweh. Yahweh. It appears over 6,800 times in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is using God's personal name. He's giving it emphasis. Yahweh is from the same root word that God used earlier to make himself known to Moses when he said, I am who I am. Yahweh. This divine name reveals so much about himself. 
He is self-sufficient. He is self-eternal. He is without without beginning. He is without end. He is unchanging. He is forever the same. He is never increasing. He is never decreasing. He is independent. That means he is dependent on no one for anything, yet everyone is dependent on him for everything. He is the life-giving, living, all-sustaining one. And when the Bible says his name, Yahweh, it declares that he is the one who was, is and who shall ever be. His name is absolutely amazing. And those for us tonight who are in Christ, we have the the unspeakable pleasure of getting to call God by his covenant name, his personal name, Yahweh. And it's important to know that why Jeremiah uses that is because he knows Yahweh. His hope is in God who sits in heaven and he knows him personally, Yahweh. So now we come to our text, verse 22. And I want to give you, I want you to see three truths about Yahweh that gives you hope in your suffering. I want you to see three truths about Yahweh that gives you hope in your suffering. So truth number one, if you're taking notes, truth number one, Yahweh is good. Yahweh is good. Look at verse 22. Yahweh's loving kindness indeed never cease for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is, is that life is hard. Life is hard. But the good news is, is that God is not life. God is God. And God is good, is he not? Amen. God is good. The goodness of God never changes when your life gets bad. The goodness of God never changes when your life is hard. The goodness of God never changes at any point in history. He is always good. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He is good. I have translated this verse from the original Greek and I've come to this conclusion. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is what? Good. Say it with me. God is good all the time. All the time, God is what? Good. He is good. Uh, In the Reformation Study Bible, I encourage you to to get a copy if you don't have one. It was edited by R.C. Sproul. He has a section that's called The Goodness of God. And he said this, God never changes. With him, there is no shadow of turning. Since there is no evil in God, there is no hint of darkness in him either. He is the father of lights. With, with the, when James adds there's no shadow due to change with God, it's not enough to understand this merely in terms of God's unchanging being. This reference is also to God's character. Listen to this. Not only is God altogether good, he is consistently good. He is consistently good. God doesn't know how to be anything but good. So closely linked to his goodness that God's goodness refers both to his character and to his behavior. His actions proceed from and flow out of who he is. He acts according to what he is, just as a corrupt A a corrupt tree cannot bear incorrupt fruit. Neither neither can an incorrupt God produce corrupt fruits. He always acts according to his own character. He is 
good. He is the only ultimate standard of goodness, and he is the source of all goodness. Yahweh is good. And what Jeremiah celebrates here in this text is two aspects of God's unchanging goodness. The first thing we see is his loving kindness, his loving kindness, Yahweh's loving kindness, verse 22, indeed never cease. Uh, the loving kindness, that word here, uh, it's the Hebrew word for hesed. Uh, it's used about 250 times in the Old Testament. And it refers to God's gracious love. It refers to his loyal love. This is his covenant love. This is his steadfast love. Yahweh has promised to love us and he always keeps his promise. The steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping love of God, he says it never ceases. It never stops. Family and friends, they may love you today, but they may hate you tomorrow. They may forget about you tomorrow. They may love you today, but they'll forget about you tomorrow. But God says that he will always love you. The steadfast, loyal love of him, it never ceases. It never stops. So in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of all your trials, never lose the constant love of God he has for your life. He loves you. His love never stops giving to meet your needs. He's always going behind you to protect you. He is always going uh, ahead of you to prepare the way. He's always going under to support you. He's always going to beside you to protect you. He's, uh, he's in you to strengthen in you. He loves you. You are forever loved by him. This is his loyal love. He is good. He is good. David says in Psalm 63, verse 3, he says, his loving kindness is better than life. His loving kindness is better than life. Can you say that tonight? that God's loving kindness in your life that's been demonstrated in your life from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, is that better than life? Paul would say in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. God's love is the single central principle that defines the Christian faith, is it not? It's his love. He has loved us even when we don't deserve it. He has loved us when we don't even deserve it. So not only do we see his love, Jeremiah says, that we also see his compassions. His compassions. Look at 22. His compassions never fail. That word compassions can be, his, it can be translated mercies. His compassions, his mercies, they, they never fail. And the idea here is, is that it's related to a, war, a, a word for the womb. It communicates a, a tender care. It communicates a tender affection. And this is the mercy of Yahweh. This is the goodness of Yahweh. Like a compassionate mother, God withholds so much that you and I deserve. He withholds so much that you and I deserve. Think about it. Can you imagine where you should be right now? Can you imagine where you should be right now if he gave you what you deserve? You deserve wrath. You deserve his anger. You deserve an eternity in hell. 
but he gives mercy that never fails. It never stops. It never ceases. And so no matter how bad things are in your life, no matter how much suffering that you go through, God is still good all the time. His loving kindness and his mercies never come to an end. He continues to hold back what you deserve and give you another chance. Micah 7, 18 says this, Who's a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities under our feet. Yes, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You have often left him. But has he ever left you? It's an emphatic no. He has never left you. His loyal love and his compassions that, that never cease. Verse 23 says, they are new every morning. Yahweh's steadfast love and compassions, they're new every morning. Mercy is like manna. When Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided manna for them every day. They were not only told to, to, to not to store up any for the future. They were to trust Yahweh for daily bread. They were trust Yahweh for daily manna. And every day he provided. And this is how God works in your life. You never have to live on yesterday's blessings. You never have to, to worry about where your blessings come from. It is new every morning. It's new every morning. Think about this. What can you count on in the morning? Nothing. Nothing. You, are, you, you can lose everything. There are no guarantees in life. You, you can lose your health. You can lose your strength. You can lose your family. You can lose your job. You can lose your money. You can lose literally everything before the sun even comes up, before the sun even rises. But if you wake up in the morning, you can count on God's loving kindness and his compassions to face your new mess, to face your new trials, to face your new day. So you can trust him not only for salvation, but you can trust him for daily living as well. So I want to ask you, is this true in your life? Is this true in your life? Can you say that God is good in your suffering? Can you say right now, this moment, that God is good in the midst of your pain? Do you believe that in all of your trials, in all your agonies, that he has never turned away his love for you? Do you truly believe that? Do you recognize that everyone in here tonight, every time you draw in a breath, every time you breathe, you are breathing in mercy from God. You are bringing, breathing in mercy from Him. Yahweh is good. He is good. So the second truth that, about Yahweh that gives us hope and suffering is Yahweh is faithful. Truth number one, Yahweh is good. Truth number two, Yahweh is faithful. Yahweh is faithful. Look at verse 23. Great is your faithfulness. 
Great is your faithfulness. Here, Jeremiah shifts from talking about, about God to talking to him. He says, your faithfulness. He's talking to him. And this is a clear sign that your theology is right. This is a clear sign that your life is in order. The theology is never the end to itself. It's always a mean to an end. Theology becomes doxology. Truth becomes worship. The sound doctrine becomes high praise. So what Jeremiah is doing here is praising him for his faithfulness. He is always faithful. The faithful means that he is trustworthy. He is steadfast. In other words, you can always count on him because he is faithful. He is faithful. The MacArthur Study Bible, it says this about this, this verse. I just love it. Quote, the bedrock of faith is the reality that God keeps all his promises according to his truthful, faithful character. God keeps all of his promises according to his truthful, faithful character. God is worthy of your trust in every situation in your life because he is faithful. He is faithful. In what ways is he faithful? Well, he's faithful in affliction. Psalm 119, I know, O Yahweh, that your judgments are righteousness and that you're in your faithfulness, you have afflicted me. He is faithful in temptation. First Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken, or to overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you, allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He's also faithful in sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5, faithful is he who calls you, he who saves you, he who transforms you. He will also do it. He's faithful in forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. He's also faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness. He's faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness. 2 Timothy 2, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. So Jeremiah says, great is your faithfulness. The, the words here is what inspired Thomas Chisholm, who wrote the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Here's a short stanza from that, 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 uh, that hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not as thou has been, thou forever will be. Can you sing that? Can you sing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness? The proof is when you can sing it when you're in trials and when you're in suffering, when you're in a hard and difficult situation. That's when you can sing that song. That's the proof. And the Christian life, what Jeremiah is saying is, the Christian life is a gift from Beginning to end, every morning, you, God has renewed his mercies in your life. He's renewed his loving kindness in your life. He's renewed your compassions in his life. And no matter what season of life you're in, whether it's in the good, whether it's in the bad, whatever it is, you can sing, great is thy faithfulness because he is faithful. He is faithful. If you've had many trials, every one of us in this room have gone through trials. So I want to ask you this question. You've had many trials and troubles, but has God ever left you? 
Has God ever left you? When all hell breaks loose in your life, when all hell breaks loose in your life, do you believe that he is faithful? Do you believe that he is faithful? Has it occurred to you that in your suffering that nothing occurs to him? That he is faithful to care for you? That he is faithful to get you through that storm? To get you through that trial? Does that occur to you when you suffer? Yahweh is faithful. So truth number one, he is good. Truth number two, he is faithful. So the third truth about Yahweh that gives hope in your suffering is Yahweh is sufficient. Yahweh is sufficient. Look at verse 24. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. As Jeremiah reflects upon the hope-giving and the hope-sustaining attributes of God, he first speaks about God to others. Then he speaks God directly. But here, he speaks to himself about God. He says, my soul. He says to my soul. The Bible records times when a person speaks to his soul. Uh, David said in Psalm 42, and when he rebuked his depressed soul, he says, why are you depressed, O my soul? Psalm 103, David calls his soul to praise. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. Bless his holy name. In Luke 12, the rich fool seduces his soul into damnation. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But here, Jeremiah's soul speaks to him. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. And the word portion here is the key word. That means it's, it's a term for a real estate term, and it's personal inheritance. It's an acquired possession. In other words, Jeremiah becomes satisfied with Yahweh alone. Yahweh is sufficient. Yahweh is enough for him. Yahweh is good enough for him. God is enough. That's what Jeremiah is saying. So let me ask you, is God enough for you? Is he enough for you? Is he sufficient for you? Is he, is he enough for your life? I mean, the good and the bad. Is he sufficient for you? Is he? God is Jeremiah's possession. He is his portion. He is in his inheritance. And this is what the, this is what the Lord is to all those who trust in him. He is our portion. He is our inheritance. He is our life. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is a rock of my heart and my portion forever. He is our portion. And how much is this, this story true? Or how much of this is true for, for those of us who know the rest of the story? For those who have, who have heard the testimony of Jesus Christ, for those of us who have all run to the cross and put our faith in him, for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more is that true? The Lord is my portion because of Jesus Christ. He is our portion. And we know that Jesus is completely sufficient for this because Jesus is sufficient for all things, is he not? 
He's sufficient for all things. He's sufficient for creation. He's sufficient for salvation. He's sufficient for sanctification. He's sufficient for glorification. So pure is Jesus that there is no blemish. There's no stain. There's no spot of sin. There's no defilement. There's no lying. There's no deception. There's no corruption. There's no error. There's no imperfection. So complete is Jesus that there's no God beside him. And he's the only begotten son and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. He's the heir of all things. He created all things. All things were made by him. All things were made through him. All things were made for him. He created all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the exact representation of God. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the son that enlightened He is the physician that heals. He's the wall of fire that defends. He's the friend that comforts. He's the pearl that enriches. He's the ark that supports. He's the rock to sustain under the heaviest pressures in life. He is better than angels. He is better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Jeremiah. He's better than all the prophets combined. He is greater than Satan. He is greater than death. He is stronger than death. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the spotless lamb of God. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our life. He is the living and true way. He is the root and offspring of David. He is the bright morning star. He is faithful and true. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. He's the captain and champion of our salvation. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the redeemer of Israel. He is the the God of this world. He's a man of sorrows. He is the light. He is the son of man. He is the vine. He is the bread of life. He is the door. He is the Lord. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. He is our Sabbath rest. Rest. He is our righteousness. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He is the chief shepherd. He's the Lord of the nations. He's the lion of Judah. He's the living word. He's the eternal spirit. He's the creator and he's the comforter. He is the Messiah and he is the great I am. He is sufficient for all things, Jesus Christ. And because of who he is, we can say that God is our portion. God is our inheritance. God is our life. God is everything that we do because we, everything that we do, everything that we say, the reason that we breathe is because of Christ. It's because of Christ. Because what Adam couldn't do, Jesus did. Because what Eve couldn't do, Jesus did. Because what any other biblical person couldn't do, what we couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of man to die for us. God did that. And the difference between experiencing pain and suffering as a believer and experience pain and suffering as an unbeliever is that those have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ. Those, those who, are, who don't, uh, they don't have any hope. And the ones that are reconciled to Christ have hope. And the ones who don't, don't have any hope. Their suffering is just the tip of the iceberg. If you don't know Christ, everything that's going bad in your life, all the suffering, all the pain, it's just the start of what you will be doing in eternity. You'll be going through an eternity in hell, suffering the wrath of God. So if you're not a believer in this room tonight, if you're not a Christian, if you're not 
in Jesus Christ, I call you to come to him. Come to him. He came in this world to save sinners. He came in this world to die for sinners. Friend, think of his name. Think of his name. It's Jesus the Savior. Is that not lovely? Think of his work. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Is that not lovely? Think of what he has done. He's redeemed our souls with his own blood. Is that not lovely? And under every circumstance, Jesus Christ is attractive to sinners who need him. So come then, because your sufferings are going to get worse. Your life will not get any better. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to me, comes to the Father except through me. You can't have God as your portion unless you come to Christ. You can't have God as your inheritance unless you come to Christ. Only then, when you come to Christ, there you will find hope in your suffering. There you will find hope in your pain. And to the believers in this room, because of Christ, you are not dependent on your circumstances. You are not dependent on your circumstances. Your life is in his hands. And because of Christ, your joy doesn't come from what you have, but it comes from what you are. And you are a child of God. And because of Christ, your joy doesn't come from where you are in your life right now, but from who you belong to. You belong to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And because of Christ, your joy doesn't come from what you enjoy, but it comes from what was suffered for you by our Lord. He has died for you on the cross. That's what your joy comes from. And because of Christ, God is your portion forever. God is enough. God is your inheritance. God is your possession. And he is sufficient. He is sufficient. So we've seen three truths about Yahweh that gives hope and suffering. He is good. He is faithful. And he is sufficient. Look, look one more time at 20, verse 21, 24. Uh, there are book, bookends. Therefore, I have hope. Verse 21, then verse 24. Therefore, I have hope in him. How do you find hope in your suffering? So how do you find hope in your mess? It's found in him. It's found in him. Hope is found in God himself, in his character, in his nature, in his faithfulness. Life is hard. It's full of trials and sufferings. But God is good. God is faithful. God is sufficient. There will be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more trials or suffering. There'll be no more death. Heaven will be 
absolutely wonderful. Be absolutely perfect because we will be with our Lord and Savior. Charles Spurgeon, he he was known as uh, the Prince of Preachers. And he said this, you will always need divine protection. And believer in Christ, you shall always have it. No matter what you're going through and you're suffering, and I'm not sure what you've been through. I'm not sure what you're going through at this moment. I'm not sure what you will be going through. Life is hard. But I know this, and please remember this. God is good. He is faithful. He is sufficient. And you can trust him to love you even when you go through the worst of circumstances in your life. When you go through the worst suffering imaginable. And know this, that nothing, absolutely nothing, not even yourself, can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You may lose some things in this life and I pray that you don't. But friend, you will never lose your Lord and Savior. You will never lose your Lord and Savior. There's this hymn that I think really just summarizes this text, let me just read it to you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone and faultless to stand before the throne. He is our He is our hope. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope we have in your son. God, thank you for being so good. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being sufficient. Lord, when sufferings do come, when the trials do come, I pray that each one of us here tonight remember how good you are. Remember how faithful you are. Remember how sufficient you are. Lord, for the ones who don't know you, I pray you convict them. I pray you pierce their souls because the sufferings that they go through this life It's nothing 
in which there's nothing that compares to what you have in store for them. Lord, again, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.